a work-from-home expert, has a new free book that can help anyone work better remotely. Author Glenn Fleischman today on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! (laughs) Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. I'm Doug Thomas. If you saw a book called Take Control of Working from Home Temporarily, you might think it was written just for you, just yesterday. With millions displaced from their place of business, author Glenn Fleischman comes to the rescue, especially because his 72-page book, chock full of useful ideas and advice, is a free download. For decades, the Seattle-based technology journalist has written for numerous publications, including American History, The Economist, Fast Company, and Macworld. Starting his career as one of the last typesetters, Glenn has quite a utility knife of talents, including book author, creator of the Tiny Type Museum, and a two-time Jeopardy! champion. Hi, Glenn. So the book is called Take Control of Working from Home Temporarily. And as a freelancer, I was a freelancer once, you've been a freelancer for years. Why on earth are you making a free book? Oh, it's just the time to do it, right? You know, you feel helpless about what's going on. So uh, what can you do as a writer? You write a book. And my publisher supported me in it instantly. It's a kind of weird specialized expertise. And I'm sure I could have written a book. Like I could have approached this as, hey, maybe I'll, I'll stake out and write another. There are many working from home books. But I thought, we're in a weird time. This book may only be useful for two months. The title is Optimistic, Working from Home Temporarily. We wanted to be clear about what it was about. And I think what we found out after it's been out for just over two months at this point is that temporarily is still sort of the case. Like uh, Some people are going to be working from home forever. Some people are going to be getting back to the office at some point and probably in limited amounts or shifts. So I think the temporary part is really is really the key. So we felt this is the time to write something where we can gather all the best information from people who've been doing it for a while, it includes me and and the uh, publisher of the book, and just uh, dozens and dozens of people. Probably, I don't know what the number is worldwide. It must be at least 100 million people. Maybe it's in the hundreds of millions of people who have jobs that they were able to do from home and were sent home to work. And that is, you know, it's A, it's unique in human history anything like that would happen. And B, it is just this, you know, you don't have time to plan for that. It's like, Hey, tomorrow you're going to work from home for the next X months. So the time felt right. And it just didn't feel right to charge. Everybody's in tough straits and, and we're all in it together. And, you know, I'll come up with other book ideas out of this in the future that will be for fee. But for right now, it just seemed like we all need to share our best practices. Oh, that's great. And again, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, read. And again, I'm part of that target audience uh, working from home, as you said, who know who knows how long temporarily uh, means, and uh, you've been uh, working from home for a long time. When you first started off, was it like I want to work from home, or was it you started working from home temporarily and then realized you could continue on and work from home more less temporarily? 
I was working out of my house for a number of years and then had the wonderful opportunity to connect with other freelancers and uh, use uh, joint offices, shared offices around Seattle for a number of years and went through a few different offices and it was great to get out of the house. And then I had kids and we had a small house and it was, you know, it's hard to work in the house while the kids are little. So it all kind of made sense. And then the kids got old enough and office expense in Seattle, strangely, went through the roof. And I thought maybe you put a little money into the house, not a ton, but kind of move a few things around. And so I, I was able to set up a space in the home. And uh, it's been, I think, almost 10 years now. I've almost lost track. And it just became a different way of working. But it was never the, I miss collegiality, but I feel like I'm a better focused person working out of the house than necessarily around other people. So it's kind of a natural thing for me. I know a lot of people really benefit from the energy of an office, even if they are very self-driven or their projects are mostly independent. Even if they're not doing meetings all the time, they want to have the sort of buzz of other people and it just keeps them regulated and going. And I know for them, it's been really difficult making a transition. I, I don't know who you're talking about. I have no idea. What, who, what kind of person are you talking about? I mean, um, yeah, I, I always thought, I always told people that uh, having kind of a non-linear career at Microsoft that I got 25% of my best ideas on breaks and just bumping into people. So I totally understand that. Let's dive in a little bit into the book and what it does, because it is very, for 72 pages, it's very comprehensive in a lot of things. But one of the th- one of the occurring themes I saw was barriers. And, and you and I are lucky enough that we can cordon off ourselves in a room. But you talk and, and talk to some experts about just what barriers can do, even if you can't have a whole separate room to do your work in. Oh, yeah, that's a, I think a, maybe the fundamental and best topic is, you know, some of us are privileged enough to have a room that we can go to. Maybe it's a room we have to cycle through with other people at different times, right? But it's a room with a door or a space where you can close a door and it's an orally separate place. You can put a note on it that says, I am working. Uh, one person I consulted, a friend of theirs is a little crafty and they wired their calendar alerts to an Arduino box. And so when their calendar says they have an appointment, a red light goes on outside their door to inform the family that they are in meeting. I think that is a hilarious low-tech, high-tech system. But I think many people, I mean, I've talked also to a lot of folks who said, I bought a house, a condo, or I moved into an apartment that was a good commute. I wanted to be in the city I wanted to be close to my job, but that meant I traded a relatively small amount of home space because I had an office. So they're suddenly in this position where they are in a space that they did not set up for this purpose. Maybe they would do it sometimes, never meant to do it full-time. And this is the challenge they face. How do I block off with relatively little space or space that's shared with a lot of people? And also I should add in, you and I both have kids. So we have kids in the house at various ages. A lot of people may have thought about, well, if I was working from home, maybe I could spend four days a week in the office and one at home or four at home and one in the office, but there was never, and also my children would be there. So how do you create a space where you're not being offensive to people around you, but you can have that. And I think there's both the physical thing of like, do you set up a spot in a table? Do you put up a curtain? There's a lot of different kinds of stands. You can get like things you can put on stands that make a barrier. Like you can put up two poles, like two tripod things. There are cheap photo setups meant for doing photo backdrops. You could set those up with tripods and just clip a fabric across them and make a wall. But there's also things like oral separation. So having noise canceling headphones might make a space workable for you if you're not doing a lot of calls or video conference meetings where otherwise it wouldn't be because it was too noisy. You plug in 
flip them on and suddenly this is a workable space that otherwise, you know, would just not be available to you. And then another barrier that I hear from a lot of folks, and again, you go into the book well, is just uh, how you work with the barrier of time of when you're working and, and when you're not working. Yeah, I think uh, teenagers have also discovered this barely. <laughs> I'm reading about teenagers who are settling into the normal adolescent sleep schedule of going to bed at three and getting up at 11. But I think there is something to be said for flexibility. And, you know, I am a very nine to five person, even as a freelancer, it just kind of fits when I'm most efficient and effective. But many people I know, especially with smaller children, but also in more complicated households where there's more people to manage or, or sort through, have been working on different schedules. And uh, some folks, you know, we all know programmers who are like, I don't even really start work till about eight at night. And then I work till four in the morning. And, you know, my employer deals with that. Or sometimes I'm up during the day to go to a meeting. Well, this kind of puts that into that mode for everybody is if you're trying to do childcare or you're responsible for an you know an elderly parent who needs help suddenly because they're not they're not able to do things for themselves or get out, then maybe a nine to five or eight to four or whatever your hours were doesn't work anymore. And I you know I think I have heard a lot of good stories about employers and managers being flexible because they are going through the same thing. It's not like workers are going through one thing and management is going through another. We are all going through it. So if a manager needs to work like six a.m to 10 a.m. and then 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., you know, they are not in a great position as a person or from a management standpoint to say, no, no, you got to work the regular hours, even though my condition, you know, they don't have much uh, authority there. So I think what I would say is, I think there's a lot of planning. I mean, depending on how flexible your employer is, but I think there's a lot of planning that can be done. And I think it's great as people discover what works for them. Certainly people are finding, especially with kids, that being able to interleave time with, um, you know, they can use uh, uh, iPad or, or Surface as a babysitter for a while, and then they need to have human interaction with their child, depending on the age. So two parents or multiple adults in a household being able to kind of trade that off and yet still get in something like a full day's work. And then some people are doing things like trying to switch to things like four tens. A lot of people have done that because of commutes where they're working four 10 hour days already. That's, that's a popular way to shift without having, you know, terribly long days. And I think I'm hearing more about people saying, yeah, I decided to go to a Monday, Thursday schedule, cleared it with my boss. I'm doing childcare on Friday, or I'm going off to take care of my parents and mow their lawn and get them groceries and take them to doctor's appointments. And, you know, my partner is doing, you know, a different schedule. So they're in, involved in these other times. I think flexibility is the key. And I think anything that locks us into an office-based or commute-based system that isn't working, I think it's really critical to have those conversations with an employer about what will work and what will keep you efficient and on, on task and productive, which is kind of the goal. You quote a writer uh, on the Take Control series of Jeff Porton, who did Take Control of Your Productivity. And he says this, watch your accomplishments, not your time. Be ruthless evaluating how much you got done at your workplace when you compare. Most of the time, most people stress out the hell when really they're only slightly off the mark. If they move the playing field, it's hard to figure out what game you're playing. Yeah. And I think this is another great opportunity for business, like the structure of business to think about what works. You know, there are already companies trying 20 hour weeks and 30 hour weeks, or we're in the office three days a week and seeing if they could achieve as much in that amount of time as they did in a full, like five day week or 40 hour week. It's a fascinating experiment because 
none of us really know, unless we're being like, uh, you know, the future of AIs watching us in the office, examining all of our emotions for efficiency in our conversations, saying 38% of your time in the office is spent doing useless chit chat and walking about. Here's what we're going to do. You know, we hope that's not a dystopian office future. But I would say it's pretty clear that being in an office is a social interaction. Meetings aren't always run efficiently. I just came across this stat yesterday from a a company that does video conferencing work. And you would think this would be the kind of thing they wouldn't emphasize, but their their study found just a couple of years ago that the average meeting length is 38 minutes of like a phone-based or video-based meeting, but that 15 of those minutes on average are wasted. And I thought, it's pretty brave putting that study out. We all know this because there's places to go, things to do, people to talk to. You get 50 people into a room where only 20 needed to be there, but everybody wanted to be involved and you've wasted you know, 30 people hours worth of time for every hour you're in there with the people who don't need to be there. So there are a lot of efficiencies to be wrong. And I think Jeff's point is excellent. We may be judging ourselves by the time we're putting in in an office where we should be looking at accomplishments. And it's again, a point to reset with managers, especially if you're working, they let you work flexible hours or you have to work a non-conventional schedule. You know, what are the project goals? What do you need to get completed? How many TPS reports do you have to file? How many uh, leads do you have to generate? How many uh, lines of code or, or whatever the, whatever the terrible or good metric is at work? You know, if that becomes the thing that's set, then maybe you can work, maybe you wind up working 30 hours of very intense on focus Pomodoro timed work and you're not putting in 40 or 50 hours where you discover that, you know, you were that inefficient when you had the flexibility and freedom to be. Yeah. There'll be a lot of rethinking the clock. I'm sure as everyone pretty much thinks that business will be rethought on many, many different levels. Yeah. Doug, I don't know if you're hearing this, but I keep hearing, um, I keep reading articles. I should say where companies, there are a lot of companies that were very adamantly opposed to remote work. And, you know, Yahoo famously uh, several years ago when they were under different management, they banned, essentially banned all remote work and wanted everybody back in the office. And there were a lot of strong held feelings. I keep reading articles <laughs> where it's these large companies going, you know, maybe we were wrong and they have 10,000 employees or 50,000 employees. So like maybe most people will be able to work at home sometime, or uh, I think it was Nationwide Insurance is closing five of its major offices. So I think it's many thousands of workers just of that one company will never have a central office they're required to go into again for work. Right. Yeah. And you know, just today, something like that happened to me. I had to take my dad to a, a routine eye appointment. And the way they do it now was, you know, we waited in the car, they would text us when they were ready. So they brought us in, they took our temperatures at the front door and then walked us right back to the first office. He goes through two offices for this appointment. So there was no waiting in the waiting room. And we went from, we stayed in that office and then waited to go to the next one when that was free. And I jokingly said to the doctor, I said, boy, I don't know if the patients are going to want to go back. And he looked at me square in the eye and said, we don't want to either. <laughs> this, you know, works for them that I guess, you know, he said people used to hang out in the lobby for 90 minutes, two hours sometimes, have a cup of coffee, socialize, get there early. And again, it was a much calmer, much more civil experience. There wasn't 25 people in the waiting room. Uh, lights were turned down low. Everyone was quieter. There was, I saw maybe in, instead of, I would see 30 patients, maybe 12. So again, I think both sides are going to see some changes in, in the way that things uh, and business uh, work on. 
Well, your kids are older, but I joke about this is I think the kids are going to go feral and they're going to demand more from school when they go back too. Because the kids are also not only have office workers, but kids have also got the taste <laughs> of freedom. Yes, yes. And then they'll have to build in recess for adults. Yes. One of the things that's great about the book, uh, it's an online version. There's lots of links to helpful articles. And you actually go in and you know name certain areas like here's a good chair and here's a good setup for what you're working on. As someone who is sitting down and they've been doing this now for a few weeks, as they are in their position, in their place, whether it be a room or the side of the dining room table where they can concentrate, um, what's a couple things that we should they should be thinking about when, when looking at that proper setup to make sure they're approaching it and kind of in a healthy position physically to do the work? Yeah, I mean, everybody's body varies. And so there's always that caveat you have to say like, all right, this may not work for you. So don't force yourself into it. But I think there's some, the, the key thing is you need to be a place where if you decide to sit, because you can decide to sit or stand now, there are a lot of ways. If you decide you want to stand for part of the day or all the day, you don't have to get a standing desk, although and those may be hard to ship and, and get at the moment or in short supply very likely, but you can get uh, adapters, different kinds of things that will raise a laptop or a computer up and be a stable surface to work at. But then you can drop them down or take your laptop off and sit for part of the day. So that gives you the opportunity. Maybe in your office, you didn't have the stand-sit opportunities. That may be nice. The other is, I think it's really, if you're working from a laptop, which I think a lot of people at home, seems like the laptop, I mean, it's now dominating as the majority of computer sales. I think folks who have an office they go to tend to have a laptop at home, not another computer. They have home entertainment equipment. So when you're working on a laptop for short periods of time, you put it on your lap, you put it on a table, you scrunch at a table, or you kind of hold it awkwardly. But if you're going to have to put in five, seven, 10 hours on it during a day, make sure it's at a comfortable height for your arms so your arms are close to the side, but you're not raising or lowering your arms too much above the horizontal plane. You want to make sure the screen is at an angle that you can look at it comfortably. You're not squinting. You're not too far away. You're not craning your neck. And so paradoxically, you want to put your laptop up higher, typically when you're sitting, uh, or often a little higher, which then means maybe get an external USB connected or wireless keyboard. You know, I try in the book to only suggest things that are relatively affordable that are, you know, 20, 30, $50. I know a few companies that have gone for the long haul home working situation already or saying as Microsoft does, you know, you, you can be working from home for quite a period of time. I'll call out Amgen in specific because uh, they're one that went public about it. Seattle based or headquartered company. Uh, they even gave staff a budget. They said, I think it was $250 to buy stuff to equip yourself at home and they're giving people money to uh, boost their broadband service. So, you know, if your company gives you money, it's great. You don't have to spend a thousand dollars to upgrade yourself. You could spend $50 on, on one thing. You could get noise canceling headphones. You could get a new chair for $80. I think you could really equip yourself well for well under $250, but even something as simple as a $20 USB keyboard. That's perfectly good. You plug in so that you can put a couple books on a table or even get a, a nicer stand for your laptop that angles it so that you're not typing in an awkward position and you're keeping your head kind of straight ahead and not crooked. That's great. Yeah, I, I, I very much agree. And one other point you put in here, which is I think it's really great that it's totally free, is go into whatever computer you have, uh, if it's a Mac or, or Windows PC or whatever, there are places you can change your tech size. So the default setting 
is just a default. You can change all that stuff in settings. <laughs> That's a really good point. I forget about that too, because some people, you know, you use a laptop at certain distances. So if you set yourself up in a more desk-like environment, you're like, man, that's really tiny. It's like, oh, just make it larger. I know it's such a funny thing, but it's if people do overlook it. Uh, the other is an external monitor is incredibly cheap right now. If if you haven't bought one for a few years, I'm always shocked when I go and look at the listings. But you know, you think of if, if you're somebody probably like both of us, like we don't buy external monitors all the time, or we haven't for years, and you're like, well, it's going to cost me three to five hundred dollars. Then you go onto a retail site and it's you know ninety dollars for a 1080p or for a slightly higher resolution monitor, it might be a hundred and fifty, and it's got in-plane uh, viewing, so you can look at it at any angle and it doesn't dim. You're like, holy cow! I you know so. Treat yourself too. If this is something where you need more layout space, more room to put stuff in, and you're working from a laptop, most modern laptops drive very large monitors very well. And let yourself have to, you know, either mirror your screen and use the bigger monitor or use two screens. Two screens has, in some studies, shown to increase productivity because you can kind of separate tasks out and not be swapping back in the same monitor. But it seems when I tell people that, they often, they're like, well, that's a lot of money. It's like, no, it really, you got to go look, look at the listings because we're all, you know, my grandfather thought bread should cost five cents a loaf. I think a monitor should cost a thousand dollars. It's different ends of the same telescope. <laughs> that's great. When you were uh, interviewing folks for the book and, and talking to a lot of folks, they're going through as one quote I heard is we're not all in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm. <laughs> Was there any great. common theme that you, you heard from these folks who many who've been doing this type of working from home, but now are doing it in a different circumstance? Was there anything that came out of that? Yeah, there's a toll that's been taken, even if you're used to working from home. And I, I assume some listeners are routine home workers, but it's that thing of, I can't just go out and work in a coffee shop if it's noisy in the house or the kids are home. If you have kids that are home all the time, you may have family that's moved in with you or other people. You, you know, I know people, uh, there are folks I've, I've interviewed and know who live in the Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area, where it's like seven people to a house in you know, Oakland, California. And you know, seven people in their 20s all work in different shifts and whatever. They're all at home now and they got to sort this out. You know, And in the past, they may rarely have seen each other because the times of day they worked or going out to work during the day or travel. So that is really different, even if you are already used to it. So part of the advice I think I've heard from people is to try to vary spaces around your house. If you're lucky enough, again, to have a little outdoor space, if you can figure out a way to work, you know, to work outdoors a little without feeling like you're compromising social distancing or impairing your health, I wouldn't make any medical commentary, but it seems like the best advice right now from the CDC and other medical authorities is that the virus spreads very, very poorly outdoors in large volumes of air. So if you're out by yourself outdoors, you're really, again, this is not medical advice, but it is well considered and you can confirm it. You're not increasing your risk versus being alone indoors relative to say like, you know, if you could go to a coffee shop today, that might not be a, a wonderful idea in some places. We used to be able to vary our routine even when we were so-called, you know, full-time at-home workers. And so the folks who've come into this environment who were not working from home or were not doing it regularly, they have that additional burden that this is not, you know, it's just like uh, uh, homeschooling is not having your kids suddenly at home all the time and you're teaching them. That is not what homeschooling was. Usually you get a plan a little bit and neither is this working from home in strict terms because this is not how most people would ever plan to develop an opportunity to work outside their office. Well, the book is called Take Control of Working from Home Temporarily. Again, a free download that you can get. We'll put the links in there. I have to share 
my favorite sentence because it made me laugh, but it's uh, you were uh, talking about noise canceling headphones and other distractions you would have. And you say, suddenly working from home may expose you to sounds that may be irritating or unbearable over time. The refrigerator's <laughs> hum and its lure. <laughs> and just, <laughs> um, I was working at the dining room table when I was reading that and, you know, it snapped on and I just thought, Oh yeah, I do need to get the water cooler. I do need to oh check out and see if there's something in the refrigerator. So the lures are there. So Glenn, thank you for uh, again writing the book and then and then being the foresight to get it out there for as many people as want to do it. For a lot of people, you're right. Temporary may turn into something a little longer, or we'll figure stuff out. But again, a ton of references here. There's lots of links to things. Again, a lot of these cheap alternatives. I should say inexpensive alternatives to help you temporarily get the space there. Some other ideas you can think through with that and you can find it on the web and we'll have the link for you uh, there. Glenn, thank you so much for your time and keep well and best to you and your family. Thank you so much, Doug. Thanks for having me on. And likewise. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space.